Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp, FightfulMMA.com. We're here to talk Wichita. We're here to talk Conor McGregor. We're here to talk this mess. <laughs> London, too. Showdown Joe. When's the last time you slapped somebody's phone out of their hand, stomped it several times, and then stole the phone? Thursday, I think. what would your kid do no no dude if i've been in that situation where people were taking pictures of me i mean i'm I'm like 0.5 percent of what conor mcgregor is in terms of popularity but i know what it's like when you know you're walking in a mall or you're sitting in mcdonald's with your family and 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 you know back in the heyday when the ufc was huge here people would take pictures all the time and just try and they'd be recording and asking questions i'm like the heck you guys doing like i'm a nobody like i just host a tv show like almost like not piss off, but like, what's wrong with you guys? Right. Like, can you not ask? So when I saw that from Connor, I'm like, dude, you can't be grabbing people's phones, but I guess it just got over his head and freaked out. Right. Here's the story. Connor McGregor was in Miami. Now all this is allegedly at this point, he was outside of a hotel at 5. AM. Someone tried to take a photo of him. He allegedly slapped the phone out of the fan's hand, stomped on it, and walked away with it. He was not arrested on the scene. He was arrested later in the day at a Miami home. Oh, boy. I can't believe that he thought this would be a good idea. Not. not. How? I mean, five days after he gets off probation, Joe. I know, right? Like, you you just figured, dude, you just got off, man. Like, come on. And, you know, again, maybe a little too much proper 12 in there, but who knows? So, what do you think comes of all this? Uh, Well, considering he's got, you know, he just came off of probation. So, you know, any sort of, of, I don't know what it's like down in the states with his district attorney or prosecution, they can use that against him and then, you know, put him back on probation and stuff like that because, you know, he's he's not a multiple offender of the same offense, but he is, quote unquote, um, you know, it could be a criminal in their eyes. So, you know, it, it may not be more than a slap on the wrist. On the other side, could be a slap on the wrist because it wasn't like there was any physical damage to someone. It's just a considered, what was it? Uh, what was the charge? Theft under a thousand? Not theft under a thousand, but um, mischief or something like that. So, 
could be more. It could, it could be a slap on the wrist. It all depends on how they decide to take it. If somebody wants to make a name off of Connor, right? That's another story altogether. But it could just be a situation where it's like, dude, man, don't don't be grabbing people's phones and slamming it, right? So he did. He sure did. Uh, <laughs> well, allegedly he did. Caught yeah. on surveillance camera, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, it's everywhere. I I watch a show every week on the Investigation Discovery channel and <laughs> it's literally people getting caught on camera doing uh doing crimes it's just amazing it's does this keep him out of the cage even longer no no i don't think it does i think when connor decides to return to action he will be welcomed uh, with open arms by the ufc and no one's really going to prevent him and i don't think the ufc is going to be holding an event in florida anytime soon um, not that I'm aware of. I mean, could be on their schedule. I haven't really checked recently. But um, if the altercation or if, or if the situation took place in the state of Florida, I don't think he has anything to worry about. Considering that you know Conor McGregor is going to be headlining shows in, in the likes of Las Vegas or in um, Ireland or big countries in terms that would get massive seats sold, right? So I don't think it's going to impact him at all. So the the rumor is that. <laughs> Conor McGregor wouldn't accept a fight with Donald Cerrone because it wasn't a main event. First off, I'm wondering, what's the UFC thinking not trying to schedule that as a main event, Joe? I don't even know if I believe that, to be honest with you. I mean, I mean, I don't care how pissed off you may be at Conor McGregor and or you think his stock value has dropped. He is a main event, and that's no ifs, ands, or buts. So I don't know if I would believe... Dana White or anyone that's involved with the UFC would not make that a main event. Um, it, it would be shocking if that was the case. So I don't know if that's actually the truth coming out from that side of the argument. We also had UFC Wichita this weekend. Junior Dos Santos crippling Derek Lewis with a spinning back kick. And what we almost saw, Joe, was a Scott Smith-Pete Sell situation. Yeah. I, I had just these, these images of Scott Smith and Pete Sell, where uh, was it Smith that was doubled over? Yes. Smith was doubled over. Sell ran at him. Smith cracked him with a punch. We had that to a degree, but Junior Dos Santos didn't go down. Junior Dos Santos eventually wins. He's right back in the mix, Joe. Yeah, well, I think the saving grace with that was that Junior threw a kick, and Derek Lewis had to go through the legs to connect him in the jaw, and he's still connected to the jaw, but... Hold oh, man, that was an absolutely incredible scene to behold. Um, kudos to Derek Lewis, who's got all kinds of heart. I mean, I read all the uh, reports that he went in there with a torn ACL, MCL, meniscus, and all that stuff there, which is hard to believe because if all that happens to somebody's knee, they're not, they shouldn't be able to walk. Uh, so it's interesting. But uh, Junior Dos Santos in general, that stalking performance, how he always stays away, keeps out of range. Uh, and like you said, he puts himself back in, in the mix wants Francis Ngannou next. I mean, uh, I don't know. It's hard to say because it is the heavyweight division and, and you know, guys having a resurgence in their career. I think it's much easier at heavyweight uh, than at any other division. But, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, I mean, we've all got our eyes on him now. We want to see him fight uh, the guys in the top five, top three. So good for him. It makes me happy. And it always brings it right back, Joe. It's never over till it's over in the heavyweight division, either in the cage or from a career perspective. At this point, I didn't necessarily think Junior Dos Santos was going to go on another run. And I can't believe I wrote that guy off. Not not to an extreme degree. Not like 
like like where I would say Mayhem Miller will never be in a world title fight. Not quite like that, but I thought Junior DeSantos probably not getting back to that mountaintop. Now he's won four of his last five. Um, last year we saw him fight two times in a year. Incredibly uncharacteristic. But after this fight, Joe, he said, get me back in that cage. I want to do it. I, I want to stay active. I appreciate that. And now, because Stipe Miocic won't fight, hasn't fought, whatever the deal is, you have a log jam. You could, could run that fight back. You could do it a third time. But man, I think you need fresh matchups in this heavyweight division. I don't want to see Miocic and Dos Santos uh, going at it again, not when they're both contenders uh, still. What do you see next for Dos Santos? I'd like to see that Francis Ngannou fight. Uh, I don't think that Stipe Miocic fight's going to happen. And I, th- I don't agree anymore that Stipe Miocic belongs at number one on the UFC rankings, right? I mean, he hasn't fought since he lost the title, right? Can't be up there. Need to start dropping down. You need to compete to remain in, in the rankings or, or at a certain position. If you don't compete within three months, six months, eight months, a year, you should start dropping down the rankings. So uh, I, I would like to see a number one contender situation. I know Francis Ngannou did fight for the title, but I'd like to see a number one contender fight between Junior and Francis to determine who gets the next crack uh, at Daniel Cormier. Although Francis kind of, you know, based on his performance recently, but um, yeah, and I know, you know, Junior's not happy with the whole Daniel Cormier taking on Brock Lesnar scenario. And he's got, he's got every right to say that he wants the title shot. Right. So uh, it's an interesting dynamic how this heavyweight division is playing out and, and, and the pieces involved, especially with Daniel holding the title, What's next for him? What does he want to do? Because he's sort of holding it up as well. He's injured. He's, he's injured as well, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's another thing to consider. Um, so, but something has to happen with these belts, right? Something has to happen. These, these belts have to be defended. So something needs to basically take place. And I'd like to see Junior some way, somehow get one more fight in, another win, and get a shot at the title he once held. I'm with you. I think one more fight, like a headliner on ESPN, sounds like a good idea. Or throw the guy on a a co-main event of a pay-per-view. Here's a fun fact, Joe. He has not won a pay-per-view fight since May of 2013. Wow. Against Mark Hunt. Wow. And uh, in that time, since May of 2012, since after that one, that's the only one he's won. He's fought on Fox. He's fought on Fight Night. I think that when you have a guy that has been on TV so much, I think it's time to throw him back on pay-per-view, see how that translates, see how this television audience that saw him beat Ivanov and Tuivasa and Lewis in, uh, to a degree, Rothwell and Miocic at one point, see how they translate and how they pick up. Now, they did that against Miocic. He did fight him on pay-per-view uh, a couple of years ago, but... I, I do think it is that time. What about Derek Lewis? Yeah, it's tough to say. What do you do with Derek Lewis now, right? I mean, I'd like to see him uh, Volkov, Overeem, perhaps. Kane Velasquez is going to need an opponent, right? So yeah. depending, on, depending on his knee, uh, be interesting to see how how Kane does when he does come back, because Derek Lewis will punch him in his face. You know that, and, and we'll see what happens with with Kane. We saw what happened when Francis did it, so. Um, there's interesting matchups for Derek Lewis because now that he is such a fan favorite, people want to know what he's doing. Uh, although I do, I, I, I would never tell Derek Lewis what to do with his money. But when I saw him in that Lamborghini, uh, and that Lamborghini footage, uh, leading up to the fight, I'm like, man, 
how much money have you made? Because you shouldn't be spending that kind of money just yet, but to each their own. And hopefully he's got some other money invested in making money off of his money. But good for him for owning a black Lamborghini because that thing was absolutely beautiful. But <laughs> yeah. Holy smokes. I was like, <laughs> dude, see when he just get when he popped a torque on it? I was like, oh my God, that'd be so sweet. But I think he could probably, if he gets Instagram sponsors, Lewis could probably just afford a Lambo himself. If that's I mean, the case, all the power to him, man. All yeah. the power to him, for sure. Aleski, uh, Zaleski to Santos. My God, you do not mollywop a man. The level of Curtis Melender, who wasn't ranked and isn't a highly touted name, but is a good talent. He's a name that people are going to be talking about in a few years. And he, he's got, I, I want him against the top 10 guy. That was a one-sided drubbing. I'm ready for that for uh, Zaleski to Santos. This is a guy who has won seven in a row. And... It, it's the it's these seven names, Joe. They're not world beaters, but you're talking Amariat Madov, Lyman Good, Max Griffin, Sean Strickland, Curtis Melender. Like that's not going to get you a title shot, but those are some damn good names, Joe. Those are some really good fringe top fifteen names. Yeah, well, I mean that even that fight with Dolby could have went the other way, so he could technically be eight zero in the UFC since he joined. Even though he's on a seven fight winning streak, he could be on an eight fight winning streak. Uh, he's something else, man. I I was just looking at him at the post-fight interview and just trying to get my head out of the fact that he just put on a, an amazing performance and just looking at the guy. And, and I don't want to use, I mean, I'm going to use the word weathered. He looks weathered. He looks like a guy that just has trained and done so much. He looks like that guy, Sean, in the gym that you see that when your name is up on the board and you got to spar him, you're like, this is going to suck. This is really <laughs> going to suck because he's so good and he's hard to to, to finish. He's hard to just you know, punish and stuff like that. But yeah, he's doing damn, damn good. And, and and the fact that he took out Curtis Melender the way he did says a lot about his skill set. Now, what does this mean for the actual division itself? I mean, he's currently ranked uh, at number 14. Um, lots of fights for him, man. Lots of fight for him. I mean, a I, world I, of opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you go up and down that list and, you know, you probably can do a cutoff at Robbie Lawler even Damian Maya, and you got your Leon Edwards, your Masvidal, your Magny, and your Gunnar Nelson. Now, fighting a Gunnar Nelson means you're only moving up one spot if you beat him, potentially, mm-hmm. right? Uh, even Neil Magny, I think he takes out Neil Magny, to be honest with you. Uh, Masvidal's already booked. He's competing uh, this weekend, so uh, tough to say. But um, Well, I mean, we, we could always just wait until after Sunday or Saturday, yeah. and you know, I think, I think that's a good one. So... Be interesting to see, but he's just got some crazy skill set, man. It's just a matter. He's so humble, though, right? It's almost like he has no bad blood in him to actually promote a fight, right? So, remember last week I said, "Damn, Nico Price, Tim Means, I got five on it, Nico Price." Boy, that one paid off. What a fight this was! I I can't believe that Nico Price and Tim Means didn't get fight of the night as well. But I understand they want to spread the wealth a little bit. They gave it to Derek Lewis and Dos Santos. Tim Means, I mentioned that inconsistency. Nico Price was just one of those guys who I, I told you, whether it's wrapping somebody up in, in a choke or pushing that mute button on somebody's face, Yeah, he got it done, man. And now we're looking at Nico Price. He's won three out of four. Uh, this is one of my prouder I got five on it picks because it unfolded almost exactly as, as we said it would. This is a hell of a fight, Joe. Yeah, it doesn't even put him in the top 15. That's how crazy it is. But to me, it was all about the slaps. The Stockton slaps that were flying in that fight, I was Amazing. just getting, I was getting such a kick out of it because some people don't notice them. I, for some reason, absolutely love 
I don't know why. I don't know if it's it's watching Pancrase back in the day and open hand strikes, but guys wearing gloves, throwing combinations, and some way somehow landing slaps to the face. It's just it's almost like an insult, but it's so funny and cool to see that I actually got some good enjoyment out of it. And, and Tim was landing them right. Tim was doing yeah. good and just folded, man. He just completely folded when he took that shot, and, and which ended and, and good on Nico Price, but because he was getting you know. In, in the words of Sean Rossap, Molly Wap there for oh, a bit. Yeah. And man, what a comeback. And to do it, uh, you know, with 10 seconds left in the round is something else. There were a couple of rather close fights on this show. You had the returning Ben Rothwell dropping a unanimous decision to Blagoy Ivanov, and then Yana Kunitskaya over Marion Renault. Some points of contention in these two decisions. What did you think of them? Kunitskaya beating Renault and Ivanov beating Rothwell. I mean, I, I think Renault won that fight. To be honest with you, we're uh, in the minority. Really? What are the, what are the, 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 what's that site that judges the site, whatever you call it? MMADecisions.com. Love that website. It is a, is a yeah. miraculous resource. Apologies uh, me, to them for me not remembering the name. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, yeah, 66% of media has it for Kunitskaya, 58% of fans had it for Kunitskaya, uh, only 31% had it for Renault, and then 9.8% had it at a draw. But, I thought Renault had it. I really did. I did. What did they say about the Rothwell fight? Let me take a gander here. God, is he fun? Oh, <laughs> 90, like 92% Rothwell for media, 79% Rothwell for fans. So Okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I got all the time in the world for Ben Rothwell. I, 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 he's, I, have you ever met him? I have not, but he's, you know. he's cool. He's so cool. He's so nice. He's just a big teddy bear. But hot damn, when it's when it's it's time for those cameras to be on, he turns into this crazy dude, man. Just a, a a weird, weird sort of guy. But behind the scenes, he's so nice. He's so funny. Uh, you can talk about anything with that guy, like just about anything. But I just love his gimmick, man. I don't even know if it's a gimmick. I think it's him. Right. I, the the fondest memory I have of him. Now keep in mind. He was the guy when he came into the UFC, he was on that unbelievable run of King of the Cage. Yeah. And a lot of people thought maybe he'll be a contender. Maybe that'll be the case. It wasn't necessarily the case, or not King of the Cage, rather. Um, good God. I was thinking of Tim Means for a second. Tim Means came in. IFL. Yeah, IFL. There you go. IFL, and he, he had the Affliction run, and I was like, what, what a good signing for Affliction. He came in, and boy, they, they gave him Murderer's Row. They gave him Mark Hunt and Cain Velasquez right off the bat. He was on a pretty solid run before his suspension, but he's going to have to get that back. My fondest memory is the Brandon Vera fight in 2013 when he went into a – just he hit the NOS button on his car yeah, and just blew, blew the doors off of uh, Brandon Vera. Yeah. Neil Dariush getting a big win over Drew Dober. That is a win that – I thought that Benil Dariush really needed, even though he had won his last fight against Thiago Mo- Moises, that wasn't a big win. That was a win that he should have had, and he didn't finish the guy. Before that, he had went winless in his last three fights. Had he went, I don't know, one, three, and one over the course of five fights, I don't know if he's still hanging around, but he got a big one over a Drew Dober, who is not an easy out, Joe. I mean, Drew Dober's weakness has been his submission game at least over the last three, four years, but this is a win Benil needed. Well, if you look at his technique in the second round uh, that led up to the finish, 
I mean, the the intricacies of the chain wrestling from the to the takedown, the takedown to the positioning to the not really the scramble, but from um, everything that you work on to, to clear the legs, everything you work on to get mount, everything you work on to stabilize mount, everything you work on to get the back. I mean, there were there were what he did for people that don't know. I'm never trained grappling in general, jujitsu or catch wrestling. It, what he did in that second round leading up to the finish, that's like, that was like five classes, five jujitsu. I'll just say jujitsu for, for my sake, Sean, five jujitsu classes and drills and techniques that we would work on back in the day. And you practice and practice and practice before you move to the next step. And then you practice and practice. He was able to showcase that. I remember when I had the TV show, we had a, um, a segment called showdowns breakdown. And that was sort of the stuff that I would do. I would break down certain things uh, which eventually was taken by somebody else and they kind of ran with it online. But um, that's the kind of stuff that I would try and showcase to the fans with arrows and explaining, you know, what to do in certain scenarios. I just thought it was a thing of beauty and it just goes to show you what what, what beautiful martial arts and, and, and mixed martial arts can look like. And he just put on a masterful performance and and because and, Do- Dober was tagging him, man. Dober was putting on the pain. So good for Benil for getting that victory. Omari Akmadov defeated Tim Boach. I, he can never count out Tim Boach, no matter what you do. Yeah. But he's a guy who's losing a lot these days. But, man, I don't know if he'll ever be the type of guy that just flat out retires. I, I don't know if he'll be that guy. He's 38 years old, just turned 38. Yeah, I think it's time, I, though. I, and I don't think that they'll cut him until it's his time to go. I think they'll give him three or four. I think they appreciate him for what he's done. Um there's not a lot to talk about here. Uh, Omari Akhmadov beat Tim Boach, and it's Omari Akhmadov who is unbeaten in his last four fights against a Tim Boach who can't put it together these days. What what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, thanks for the memories, Tim Boach, but I don't know well, how many more he's going to provide. Yeah, I owe him an ice fishing trip too, so Ooh. he's still welcome to – oh, yeah, he wants to come up to Canada. That's fightful Canada. content that I want. Well, that's I'd have to behave myself, to know. but yeah, he's, uh, he's all about coming up here and, and you know getting an auger, drilling it through the ice, and uh, grabbing some fish. So yeah, I still owe him that. I owe a lot of fighters a lot of stuff. They owe me too, but yeah. Other winners: Anthony Rocco Martin beat Sergio Marias. Grant Dawson beat Julian Arosa. We talked to Grant Dawson on Fightful. Uh, Alex White defeated Dan Moret. all by decision. Any of those stand out to you? Uh, I, I thought that the, the Morono finish was fun. Yeah. I, I, did, did you mention Maurice Green and Jeff Hughes? Not yet. Okay. Uh, yeah, the Morono fight. I didn't think Zach Otto was going to be finishing the first round, man. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. Alex Morono is, is, is an absolute monster. Let's just say that. But, yeah, uh, I, I, I feel bad. Did you mention Smolka? Nope. That was a finish, too, that I wanted to talk about. Smolka came back in the UFC on a tear. Yeah. Got stopped by Matt Schnell. This one was at Bantamweight, too. And now you got Matt Schnell quietly winning three fights in a row, including his Bantamweight debut. Yeah. Looked very good. Very impressive. I was very impressed. I mean, he's just, you know, I, I, did you get a sense that Smolka was, you know, not overwhelmed, but was like, what the hell just happened to me? And then, bang, it's over? Yep. Okay. I thought it was just me. Cool. Now, right. let me just <laughs> pat myself on the back because – I told you, I got five on it. Maurice Green, don't think he won that fight necessarily. A little bit conflicted there. 81% of fans, about 75% of media had it for Jeff Hughes, who 
broadcast his love of WCW and New Japan Pro Wrestling here on Fightful. I, I always like that. How, how did you think about think of that? Uh, UFC likes Jeff Hughes. I know that for sure. Uh, but Maurice Green picks up a real big win. This was a rematch too. A lot yeah, of they, they already did five rounds before, yeah. right? So, I, I so every so often, maybe one out of every five hundred fights, I look at a fight and say to myself, you know what, this is a draw. Like, let it go. <laughs> this is stupid. And I started thinking to myself how much I dislike the the ten point must system. I think it's absolutely dumb. I know it's a sport. Sometimes, okay. Let, let, let me let me be careful how I wear this. It's a sport. Okay, so it's not a fight, but it is a fight. I like to see it, you know, the way it's done in Japan. You judge it based on at the very end of a fight. Like if you and I are are strolling the streets of Toronto when you're here and we decide to hit a, you know, a, a pub or whatever with Jimmy Van and we're walking the streets and a fight breaks out. Right. You and I go into like, okay, let's take a look at the technique here. What if this fight goes like seven minutes long? And one guy beats the crap out of the first guy. Somehow they get separated. They go back at it. The second guy beats the crap out of the first guy. They get separated. And then they fight. A, they, they tangle a third time. And one of those guys gets the best of the other one. Right? It's like, it's, it's who won the fight? Right? Who won the fight? We're not going to score in the 10-point must system. So I look at some of these fights sometimes. And I think to myself, why are we scoring it by round? Let's just let them fight at the very end. Who won the fight? Who's the last guy standing? Who's the last guy about to go out or girl, right? Because if you kick the crap out of somebody for the first five minutes, but in the last five minutes or two minutes, you're about to go out and it's a fight. You're about to lose. You lost the fight. Yes. Uh, you think we'll see them run this one back? Because I doubt it. <laughs> Not unless these guys are going to be put on opposite sides of the proverbial bracket moving forward yeah. it'll be a long time before we see these two guys the only way they'll meet uh i think will be if they're in the upper echelon of the division and they've got skills to get up there let's not kid ourselves both these guys have skills to move up in this division it won't be easy but they're they, they're they i don't i cannot see the meeting in the ufc for a very long time not until they get towards the upper echelon division should they get there or once again on the regional circuit on the downtail of their careers we have some news to talk about. Well, before we get into that, Junior Dos Santos wants Francis Ngannou next. Ngannou seems down. Boy, am I as well. Woo! Bring That's it. A good one. Bring it. Dylan Danis says he can beat up Ben Askren. Yeah. Okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? No. I refuse to. <laughs> I couldn't imagine that happening. I refuse to. Uh, some major movement in the UFC flyweight division. It is confirmed. Rose Namajunas will return. She will defend her title against Jessica I. We also have Tatiana Suarez versus Nina Ansaroff added to UFC 238. Jessica Kate, I. Yeah. Or not Jessica I. My bad. Jessica Andraj, I believe. Whew. Okay. Apologies. I'm like, how did I miss that story? <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me make sure. No, no. I completely messed it up. Valentina Shevchenko. Thank defends you. against Jessica I at UFC 238. You also have Tatiana Suarez, Nina Ansaroff, Joanne Calderwood, Caitlin Chikagian. This is title fight, title eliminator, and insurance fight, and then insurance for that insurance. Smart move. They should do it more. I like it. What do you think of these three fights? Uh, 
well, it's clear. The uh, the matchmaking team every so often takes that rocket science pill, right? And like, oh, why don't we put together cards that showcase more than one fight in a division? Let's have more. Let's have a bunch of them so we have insurance. You know, this goes way back to when they did it in the welterweight division back in the day in Montreal with the likes of Carlos Condit, George St. Pierre. I think Diaz was on the card. It was backup after backup after backup. If anything happened leading up to the event, they could move guys around or girls because they were actually training for fights that evening. They could do this every single time. Now, I had a, uh, a, a PD, not a PDF, a PowerPoint presentation that I once you know, presented to, to Sportsnet back in the day when there was the score fighting series and how to change it up and blah, blah. Uh, and they were blown away by it. And, I, and they wanted a copy of it. And I said, no, non-disclosure agreement, sign here. I own the rights to this. And it basically, I mean, I'm, I, I can't give it all away, but it, in essence, it was showcasing weight classes per event. You know, two to three weight classes maximum per event every six weeks. It, it, it just makes sense, right? It just makes sense. Instead of, ha- again, goes back to the whole conversation. There's too many fighters on this damn roster and, you know, we don't know who's fighting who anymore and what relevance they have. These fights make sense. You know, you keep doing stuff like this, fans will continue to tune in because they mean something. I mean, they had that UFC heavyweights card that was a major success. <laughs> Stefan Struve and LeVar Johnson, I remember that arm bar. Yeah. I mean, the the Roy Nelson knockout, the Cain Velazquez drubbing. You even had Miocic, um beat Shane Del Rosario, God rest his soul, but uh, Junior DeSantos and Mir, like sometimes it just works. And I think this is a good move on their part. Do you think it's a good move for Anthony Smith to get back in the cage so soon? He's fighting Alexander Gustafson at fight night Stockholm, according to Brett Okamoto. That is June 1st. So he has, he has about three months, a solid three months. Considering Anthony Smith's trajectory, I think this is in key with his career. And if he, you, you might as well take that fight with Gustafson early. That- when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That way, when Gustafson pulls out, you have time for a replacement to step in. <laughs> okay. Uh, to answer the question, is it you know should he be fighting? Is it good for him to be fighting uh, after coming off that loss to John Jones? And normally, I would say no because you know he got he got beat, right? Provided he's medically cleared to fight, then my answer is yes because it does offer him the opportunity to put in a training camp. Sorry, recover a little bit. Right, I think you need you know for, for your your first three days in general. Uh, you know, Faraz Zahabi and I used to talk about this all the time. Your first two or three days is just to reset your electrical system in your body. Right, just shut it down. If you got to go on vacation, go on vacation. Do nothing, right? But just do that, and then work your way back into training, and then get into your training camp. I think it's fantastic for Anthony Smith if all of these perfect pieces fall into place. So uh, I got no problem with that. And getting taking on a guy like Alexander Gustafsson. You get two guys in there, although we, we can say what we want about Alexander Gustafson. We really never know, but he's going to want to get a win, obviously, um, get back on that winning track. And Anthony Smith just doesn't feel like he fought properly because John shut him down. I and mean, John did shut him down in that title fight. So 
Uh, he wants to stay relevant. He doesn't want people to remember him for that performance and and get her done. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I think it's a good move. I think it's a good move. Um, and somebody pointed out the, the Tatiana and Nina fight being at UFC 238, not 237. Close proximity, they can make it work. That's why I say it's it's insurance for for another another card. But we're going to talk about something that we, we haven't really touched on before. And this went under the radar because of WWE's ties to Saudi Arabia being so tight. Yep. WWE signed a major 10-year deal with Saudi Arabia, quite frankly, where the government pays them to come and put on events. And when I say pays them, Joe... I'm talking like an absurd amount of money to the point to where no matter what your morals, you look at that and you go, maybe we got to do this. It is an obscene amount of money. They make more off of a Saudi Arabia show than almost any major event, maybe WrestleMania included, and that is unbelievable. However, Endeavor, the majority owners of the UFC, returned a $400 million investment from the Saudi Arabia government. That is, um, I think, a great move. I have a lot of respect for them for doing that. Uh, this is a, a contract cancellation, allegedly, over uh, the murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi. The money was given to uh, Ariel Emanuel of Endeavor by the Saudi government last year at a party in Hollywood, which I go to the wrong parties. <laughs> Hanging out with the wrong people. Yeah, by the sound of it. Um, I got a lot of respect for them for doing this. And there's not a lot of times you're going to hear me say, got a lot of respect for the way the UFC does business. Now, um, this is from Endeavor, not necessarily directly the UFC, but a good move in my in my estimation. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult you know story system to digest. Right. It's it's it, it, at some point you have to draw the line. Uh, and I think they did. And I said, you know what? Can't do this anymore. Right. This was the right move. Um, it's not easy for companies like this to do this. I know it's easy for you and I to say, oh, I wouldn't do that show. Daniel Bryan, John Cena, Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn all stepped up and told WWE. I don't care if you're paying me six figures for one show. I'm not going. I'm not doing that. I don't know that it would be that tough for UFC to put together a card in Saudi Arabia if they were to go. I'm pretty sure it'd be pretty easy for them to. Um, keep in mind, this is an MMA landscape where Donnie Aaron still has not been found. They got Nick Baldwin off Twitter before they got Steve or Donnie Aaron. Did you see that? No, no. Nick Baldwin, who is a noted MMA journalist who's like 18, 19 years old and had been since he was like 14, 13. He ran a site called MMA Junior. He realized that when he started his Twitter, he had made his birth date two years earlier than it actually was. So he could be on Twitter because he wasn't supposed to be at like 12 years old. Yeah. He changed it this week <laughs> to reflect an actual birth date. And Twitter immediately flagged him and kicked him off Twitter. Ooh. They got <laughs> Nick Baldwin off Twitter before swastika-wearing, woman-beating Donnie Aaron. Yeah. Amazing. 
It's the landscape, man. That's the landscape. We have a landscape this Saturday, this weekend. UFC London. Now, I, I quite frankly, I don't look at these shows until about a week beforehand because you never know what's going to happen. Yep. There's some good fights on this show. Oh, yeah. Dom Reyes is on this show. Darren Teal and Masvidal are on this show. I like Duffy and Jacasey. That's a hell of a fight. Yeah. But um, perhaps the, the fight that I am most interested in, Joe, the Brazilian zombie. You know what I'm talking about? I'm thinking. No. Priscilla Cachoeira is coming back from the dead. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Fighting on this show. I can't believe the woman is alive after what Yama was it Yamasaki? Yeah. That just let her Boom. die in the cage. Man, I hope I hope that Yamasaki stops that fight before Valentina Shevchenko fights in her title fight. Yeah. Priscilla Keshwara is still face down in a cage somewhere getting pummeled by Shevchenko. I hope she makes weight. Yeah, I forgot about that. You're right. You're absolutely correct. There's some good fights in this card, man. I even like the, the the main card kickoff. I mean, you give me Jack Marshman anytime. I know he's potentially a shell of his former self, but Jack Marshman's the man. I like. I think he's an absolutely fantastic fighter. But uh, yeah, Molly McCann and Priscilla. Oof. We'll see what happens. Well, uh, before we get into the the betting odds of this show, I got to put over ESPN hard, and I don't know how it reflects on TSN up there. We talked a lot about pace, and we talked a lot about the time spent on cards. And it was, it was a drum that we beat forever. So considering that that has been heavily rectified, I think we would be remiss to say, or remiss to not talk about that. The pace in which ESPN has put these shows on has been magnificent. The time that they're putting on. I almost threw a pizza party, Joe. I almost dialed up my friend. I said, Nikita Krylov fan, get, you know what? Come to think of it. He did actually bring several pizzas over to UFC 235. So we had a pizza party. Nice. I cool. called up Dylan Cornette, the great, the great uh, gym owner in Georgetown, Kentucky, and I said, "Get over here! It's a pizza party." They say, "Why?" And Sean Ross Sapp says, "You know what? It's because ESPN is putting shows on at seven, eight, nine p.m. Eastern. It's because they're starting them at one and two p.m. Eastern, and when they're in London and all that, they're not trying to force these poor people in the UK to stay up till two in the morning just to, to cater to us." Hey, we'll watch the shows. And if we don't watch them live, we'll watch them later. I love the ESPN era from a digestible content point of view. They also, what I think is very smart, at times they're putting like six fights on the main card. That way they can fill out that time. They're like, we'll just start the main card earlier, have an extra fight on there, and we'll we'll load them up right after the other, right after the other. They're not waiting on anybody, Joe. <laughs> my only so that I, I I do like that. You're right. Uh, my, my only concern um, is is they've got to step up their graphics game because Fox's graphics were about a billion times better than the UFC's graphics. When we used to go from the main card of a Fox show, oh sorry, when we used to go from the prelims of a Fox show to a pay per view of a UFC, I was like the hell are these stupid graphics that my eight-year-old son can can create can can create on his on his ipad right like the graphics that fox had you knew that the color of the shorts was where the person the fighter's name was so right away you could tell you could tell what round we're in you can tell the time you could tell all different things there was more to 
you, because you let's say somebody's walking into the second round of a fight, right? They walk into a bar, they they get home, they turn on the television. It's the second round of a fight. You don't know who's who when you look at the UFC graphics because they're black, white, and gray. You have a name. You, you don't know what weight class it is. You don't know anything. When the Fox had their graphics up, you, the Fox. When Fox had their graphics up, you knew the weight class that we were watching. You know which fighter was which because if they were wearing yellow shorts, their name was was on was white on yellow or black on yellow. If they were wearing red or blue shorts, it was red, it was black. You knew what weight class, you knew the time. You got more numbers in there to say who's ahead on the fight, significant. I know they're still doing it now, but the graphics that ESPN is using, why they are using the UFC's graphics is beyond me. They've got the talent, they've got the the production staff, they've got the editors to just go in there, put your ESPN graphics on there like you would uh, for a basketball game or for a football game or a baseball game so fans that are tuning in can actually know who's competing because the fans don't know everybody, right? So, but the pacing is great. It was no joke. Like, they was just like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Next fight, no post-fight interview. Let's go, let's go, let's go. So I, I really enjoyed that. I just, I don't understand these whole freaking... I've done some fight yeah. coordinating in my day. It's a lot easier said than done to make that happen. Sometimes fighters try to operate on their own schedule, and uh, ESPN's not having it. I like that. I'm with you on the graphics thing, though. We have UFC London this weekend, headlined by Teal and Masvidal. Edwards and Nelson on this show as well. Man, it's it's a good card. We're going to give you betting odds. I'll give you my I got five on it picks afterwards. Two and three of those hit this weekend. Really only got a hit on one of them pretty much to make money. But uh, starting at the bottom, Mike Grundy, a minus 165. Nod Naramani, a minus 190. You have Dan EJ, a minus 155 over Danny Henry, a plus 135. You have Ian Heinisch, a plus 115 against Tom Breeze, a minus 135. You have Nick Negamoreno, Minus 185, uh, Safarov, a plus 160. Uh, those fights, there's there's nothing that really necessarily uh, stands out to me here. You have any of those fights isn't going to make a dent in the division. None of them seem like any outstanding value or anything. But it's it's when you get above this, well, and not necessarily the bout order, there's some depth on this show. Not from a marquee name value perspective, Joe, but Duffy and Jacasey. I look at that and I'm like, how is that not on the main card of this show? Yeah, considering where it is too, right? Um, the, the old, well, I shouldn't say that because Joseph Duffy's Irish. He's not English, but yeah. um, does have a name over in Europe. I mean, you, you, you mentioned eight fighters with the exception of Tom Breeze. Maybe somebody would know who he is, but, you know, despite Dan Ige being, you know, a guy that, you know, fought for Titan back in the day, um, you, you mentioned eight names that when you actually look at that, should they be competing in the UFC? Don't need 13 fights on this show. Okay, done. Right? So, uh, you know, my heart's with Ige. Hope Ige wins that fight. But other than that, uh, Joseph Duff- Duffy and, and Ducasey, I mean, that's a solid scrap right there. And, I, and My five on it could be on Ducasey in that fight, man. Four of these fights could go with all four of those fights could have went. And I, I get it. A lot of people say, oh, well, keep in the venue longer. They, they buy money in concessions. People aren't showing up. You ever watch a UFC show? Nobody's there. Nobody's there until the main card. However, Duffy, a minus 220. Jacasey, a plus 180. I think there's some value on Jacasey to the point to where I'm probably going to put five on it just because he is a very, very dangerous striker. 
And he's lost three in a row, but a lot of people, they forget he came in that great run uh, in Bama. He had a nice run starting out in the UFC. Uh, I, I do think that we've probably seen the end of Jacasey in the UFC for a while if he loses this fight. But then again, Bellator probably picks him up because they would love to have him in Bellator Europe. Yeah. Hang on. They would. How much does he weigh? One fifty-five. That's Pitbull brother territory, my friend. <laughs> Headlining Bellator UK. Uh, we also have Arnold Allen, a minus one fifty over Jordan Rinaldi, a minus or a plus one thirty. Jack Marshman, a minus one sixty-five. John Phillips, a plus one forty-five. And that goes into uh, some of the fights on the main card, including Danny Roberts, a plus one thirty. Claudio Silva, a minus one fifty. Any of these guys you're looking forward to performing? Uh, Jack Marshman. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Marshman. The Robert Silva fight is going to be nice as well. I think it's going to be fantastic. But th- those are all good scraps, man. Jack Marshman, the thing is, of late, I mean, he, he made his name on finishing fights and finishing fights almost everywhere. There, there were a few, a few rarities. But generally, if you take him to the scorecards, you stand a chance. You're going to get a majority decision, a split decision, or you, you might beat him. I think that's the key right here. You got to drag him into the later rounds. Uh, Danny Roberts and Claudio Silva. Uh, when I look at Danny Roberts, I see a guy who, uh, like Marshman, finished a lot of people, didn't yeah. in his last fight, went to a split decision, but it was a fight of the night. He's a guy that puts on exciting fights no matter what. And a guy like that is always dangerous. You, and especially when you see his last win, you're like, okay, he can go to the scorecards and he can do it in the UFC. He did it with Dom Steele before. Uh, he's not that single layered type of guy that is knockout or or nothing or anything, anything of that nature. And Claudio Silva has quietly won three fights in a row as well in the UFC. So this is, this is a very underrated fight. Uh, I'm probably going to go with Claudio Silva in this one. Jose uh, Canones, a plus 250. Nathaniel Wood, a minus 300. They like Nathaniel Wood an awful lot. And we do too at Fightful. He did an interview with James Lynch. Go check it out. That's quite the line. You're not going to see a ton of lines like that, but it's a line that I can't put five on. No, not that. I mean, Kidona's comes from the ultimate fighter, um, right? And it, But it's just one of those things. He, he's on a four-fight win streak. Uh, Morales, Gomez, Rivas, and, and Ishihara, but we all know Ishihara was sort of the tail end, right? So uh, it'll be a good scrap. I just don't think he moves victorious, to be honest with you. Molly McCann, Priscilla, Cachuera. I don't know why this is listed so far up on the odds. <laughs> Molly McCann, a minus 185. Cachuera, a plus 160. Look at it this way. No matter what happens, it can't be worse than the Shevchenko fight. <laughs> there was a, a, a slight talent gap when that fight took place. Oh, yeah. I can't believe they booked that. That was... That was <laughs> woo. Uh, Molly McCann's probably winning this fight, by the way. Then we get three real good fights. Real, real good fights, Joe. Dom Reyes, a minus 265. Volkan Ozdemir, a plus 225. I'm going Reyes, but damn, do I have five on it. Yeah, man. Why not? Ozdemir, a plus 225. This is going to be a rock'em, sock'em, wreck'em brawl. I hope. I hope. And... You know, part of me wants to see the new contender in, in Reyes emerge. But, man, plus 225, a guy like Ozdemir who looks at you 
And if, if he, if he makes eye contact, you fall over and you go to sleep. Huh? How do you set that line? How, how does betting get that out of control? I know a lot of people are high on Reyes. That's I exactly am what it is, right? I, I'm high on Reyes too, but damn man, what line? Yeah. Yeah. It's what you, what have you done for me lately? What's the hot guy? Remember a, a lot of these lines are generally set. Uh, you know, the bookies aren't dumb. The bookies will set the lines and, and, Hopefully there isn't much movement on them, uh, and then hype will drive a line. Just go look at a, oftentimes a Manchester United uh, or Manchester City. Any of these teams or fighters that have big, big fan bases, the lines will generally move, and the, and the bookies are not stupid when they set them. So this is a situation where – and then they're always hype, right? So Dominic Reyes has a whole boatload of hype. Olsevier, not so much because he had that quick run and then you know the title fight or whatever, and then it's just like, okay, is he that good? Was it a flash in the pan? Although it's not, so yeah, it's it. it you got to put five on Uzdemir, even though you if, if you believe Reyes is going to win, it's one thing. But can't tell me Uzdemir doesn't land one shot and change the game. Leon Edwards has won six in a row. He's beaten Donald Cerrone along the way. He's facing Gunnar Nelson. This could be a very boring fight. <laughs> it could be. Uh, you're, you're looking at it. Leon Edwards doesn't have a performance bonus since his eight second knockout four years ago, but it is also a very high level fight as well. Now I'm not as in love with Gunnar Nelson as a lot of people, uh, but the guy finishes fights for better or for worse outside of uh, a couple of his decision losses. That, that's been his trend. Leon Edwards is real good. He's won eight of his last nine. His one loss in that, that period Kamaru Usman. His other loss in the UFC, how about that guy, Claudio Silva, yeah. who uh, took four years off or three and a half years off and didn't miss a beat when he came back. I mean, that's it's kind of wild. It, it almost made me forget that Claudio Silva took so much time off, but it also, I think, adds a little bit to the undercard because now when Claudio Silva walks out to that cage, they can look at these and say, yeah, uh, Leon Edwards or Gunnar Nelson or Sorry, Leon Edwards, who's fighting tonight, got beat by this guy. Yeah. So that makes him seem more important. Who do you have winning this fight? Oh, can't go. I know. I know. Leon Edwards is. <sighs> I'm going Gunnar Nelson, man. Going Gunnar Nelson. Gunnar Nelson's going to get a hold of him. I mean, I, I, I just wish you could see a bit more aggressiveness than than what Gunnar generally shows. He's such a calm that that demeanor that's so calm, but. Man, the Machida just, syndrome, man. Like Machida, yeah. when when he gets aggressive, yeah. you see a very dangerous fighter. Yeah. But they want to fight. They they want to wait for the weakness. And a lot of times that happens for Gunner. Yeah. People come right to him. Yeah, I'm totally going to go with Gunner in this fight. No, no disrespect to Leon Edwards. He's a fantastic fighter and the favorite in the scrap. But uh, I, I, I'm never. I'm not just. I'm still high on Gunner Nelson. If that means anything. How high are you on Darren Teal? Because uh, the betting lines are very high on him. Minus 240, Masvidal plus 200. I believe that Darren Teal... I, I, first off, I can't believe this is a main event. Um, all due respect to Masvidal. I love watching the guy fight, all that. He's lost two in a row. He's three and four. He's never been in a, a UFC title fight. Love watching the man fight, though. But uh, a, a little bit odd to have him on a couple of pay-per-views that he loses. He didn't headline the Fox card with Cerrone. Um, I think he, he didn't headline. He was like third from the top against Ellenberger. 
I don't know. I think the last time he main evented was in 2015 against Ben Henderson. He lost there as well. He's going to be at a very big size disadvantage here. Darren Teal, who is quite frankly a, a middleweight, yeah, is facing Masvidal, who was a lightweight, would be better suited at 165. I'm going Teal here. Yeah, I. You know what? It is sort of weird matchmaking, but I do like it only because, you know, Masvidal is not going to back down. Masvidal has got that gimmick. He's just absolutely a, a, a you know, gunslinger as is. And if you look at his last two fights, um, so first things first, Darren Till does take out Stephen Thompson. You can make the argument that fight could have went the other way, right? Stephen Thompson should have won that fight. <clears throat> so he's got the skill set to go five rounds with arguably the best technical striker um, in the division. Now, Masvidal did the same thing. He lost a unanimous decision uh, to Stephen Thompson, but proved quite well that you know the, arguably the best striker in the division can't knock him out. Then he goes before that he went the distance with Damian Maya, arguably the best submission fighter in the division, couldn't tap him out. So you know Darren Till is going to have his work cut out for him, right? If he thinks he's going to finish off, um, I mean, when's the last time he's been finished? I mean, Masvidal hasn't been finished since when? I'm looking here. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. I mean, he, he, technical submission. Toby Yamada, Bellator five, May two thousand and nine. Was that the inverted triangle? Yeah. Wow. That's the last time he's been finished. Right. So well, when you is, put it when you put it like that, that, that tips me towards I got five on it territory. Because if right? he can if he can drag this to the scorecards, I'm sure his cardio is going to be better than Darren Teal. Yeah, Darren's got to cut a lot of weight, man. It's a five round fight yeah. too. Right. Well, let's go ahead and I'll do my I got five on it picks for uh, <laughs> UFC London. Now, for those of you unaware, this is a betting flyers thing. I'm not a gambler, but I look at these and I've had a pretty high success rate on I got five on it picks. The rules, they got to be underdogs, except in rare instances. If I see a line that is just too good to be true, that's when you put five on it. And uh, maybe you meet some success. I see uh, Mark Jacasey at plus 180. Do I think Joseph Duffy's going to beat him at minus 220? Probably. But Jacasey is very dangerous on the feet. And if he ends up playing his game, I could see him putting away Duffy. I think that is is a dangerous line and an underrated line. Because Jacasey has a lot of talent if he can put it together. I look at Dom Reyes and Volkan Ozdemir. I'm probably picking Dom Reyes at minus 265, but I got five on Volkan Ozdemir at plus 225. As I mentioned on our full preview, Volkan Ozdemir is really good at just pressing that mute button on somebody's face and putting them to sleep. Barely connecting with like their earlobe puts people out when they fight Volkan Ozdemir. It's amazing. And uh, I don't think that Dom Reyes is immune from that, quite frankly. Also, 200 on Masvidal, plus 200 on Masvidal, so... I'm picking Teal to beat him, but as Showdown Joe mentioned, Masvidal has not been finished since an inverted triangle in Bellator. Beyond that, he hadn't been finished. Uh, it hasn't been finished in over a decade via strikes. I don't get the feeling that that Darren Teal's going to whip out the inverted triangle standing on Masvidal. If Masvidal can drag this to the scorecards, I think there is some value there. I got five on it. Joe, you got a new gig. I did. Tell us about it. Uh, I am the in-stadium voice, uh, official in-stadium voice for <clears throat> York 9 FC. 
Uh, for those that don't know uh, anything, you know, for those that don't know how soccer generally works, because we're very North American in terms of the leagues that we look at. Now, Toronto FC, uh, Vancouver, Montreal, they are not part of a Canadian league. They are part of an American league, right? The MLS is technically an American league. So Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal are part of an American league. Uh, Canada now has been granted its own domestic league. And if you know anything about soccer, uh, the development of talent and and just soccer in general, you need a domestic league to build talent. Now, with Toronto already having a team in a, in a uh, we'll call it North American League if you want, but uh, an American league, Toronto FC, they needed a second team in our area uh, just above Toronto, Sean. It's, it's, you know, we all know it's called the GTA, Greater Toronto Area. But above Toronto, right, it's, it's like a, a little, almost like a, a mini horseshoe. It's called York Region, and York Region is where I live, and it's made up of about eight or nine, municipal, or nine municipalities, hence the term York Nine. It took the nine different municipalities – uh, and put them all together to start building a team. And if you know, in soccer in general, what generally happens, because it's such a massive sport, for example, we have the NHL, the NHL in hockey. We have Major League Baseball, right? Those are predominantly North American leagues. The best of the world come there. Soccer is completely different. Soccer, the, 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 there's so much depth in soccer that Italy, England, Germany, Ireland, uh, Spain, they all have their own domestic leagues with High-caliber teams and high-caliber players, right? Brazil, whatever. So now with Canada having their own domestic league and having the teams in there, you start building up the talent pathway. For example, the, the I, I coach in Stouffville. My players now will one day have a path to potentially play for York 9 FC. Worked with somebody at Sportsnet back in the day who became their content marketing guy, called me up. Uh, we spoke about a few different things, and they said, listen, man, we want your voice to be uh, part of the home games, you know, you introduce the lineups, uh, home team, away team, every single goal, yellow card, red card. Here's your emergency exits and stuff like that. So I will be at every single York 9 FC home game uh, this year, and I'm proud and honored. And there's more information coming out uh, with that shortly. I am falling more in love with soccer each year. Cincinnati got an MLS team, which makes yep. me very happy, and our our area has supported it greatly. I wish it was around when I was younger. Um, <laughs> I remember the first time that um, I played soccer, me and some of my friends, they, they were like, oh, we're going to go play soccer with these girls. Well, we didn't realize they had went to a Catholic school and it was a way of life to play soccer. Oh, and yeah, they mopped the floor with us. It is a special kind of cardio. It is something that anybody in any financial bracket can play. It is truly a world sport. And uh, I'm happy for you, Joe. That is awesome news. And, uh, I mean, I, you know, it's the Brock Lesnar schedule already. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I should te- I think all their home games are Wednesdays and Saturdays. So we're good. Well, maybe, maybe we have some, we have some schedule shuffling on fightful. We're going to figure everything out, but <laughs> man, we're happy for you, Joe guys, leave us a thumbs up. We are on podcast platforms everywhere. Subscribe here on YouTube, but visit FightfulMMA.com. Leave us a little comment on the stories. Make Jimmy Van happy. Until next time, we're out.